Hello, hello, and welcome to the first postseason edition of the Keith Ergo Show, your look inside Florida men's basketball with the head coach, Keith Ergo, myself, Andrew Bogus. As always, thanks for hanging out with us. We really appreciate uh, your time, your commitment to the program, to the team, and what was a tremendous season. And since the last time we spoke, uh, one of us was named Atlantic 10 Coach of the Year and got a nice new extension as well. So, uh, Keith, belated congrats on, on both of those things. Noah, thank you so much. And um, I know this sounds kind of like coach speaking corny, but those those um, those awards, and I consider the extension an award, are, are really um, staff awards. We had a, a recruit visit yesterday, and, and our staff, we do a presentation, and they brought up the fact that I was coach of the year and this and that. And I said, you know what, I honestly think, and I know um, I, I really do mean it, I, I think it should be called staff of the year. Um, you know, I, I really do. Um, it's, it's something that I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, but it doesn't happen without, you know, everybody in our program, including the players, but our staff is fantastic, man. So, you know, Trayvon Woodall and Dave Paulson and Ron Ramon and Henry Lowe and Trey Morton, Juan McMillan, Ty Goody, Will Braden, Will Divizio, you know, my, my nephew Sutter, everybody, all the managers, I mean, it takes – and most people who aren't in the business don't understand how many people are involved in the day-to-day -day operations and, um, and and all the organization detail and the work ethic that it takes to to run a, a high-level basketball program or college athletics program. So I'm incredibly grateful for our entire staff. I feel like they're one of the best in the country because they really are incredible people that have developed uh, some fantastic relationships with our players, and as a result, you know, we had some success. And so I'm incredibly grateful for them. And I want to say, you know, thank you to those guys. And, you know, as far as the extension is concerned, I'm just, we are all beyond excited to continue to try to build on what we were able to do this year. And I think, you know, everybody in our program is excited about the future. And we've got some really good young talent that was on the roster this year and guys coming back and then really, really high level guys coming in um, that want to be at Fordham. And that's been the biggest difference. Everybody in that locker room, anybody who's coming on campus, they want to be at Fordham. They don't want to just come and play basketball. They, they really embrace what the institution and the university is all about and the values of it. So, you know, it's an exciting time right now. And I'm just so thrilled and blessed to be a part of it. You know, I've actually had this question written down in my notes to bring up with you for months now. Before the Dayton game, we talked to – uh, Ricardo Greer to prep for our broadcast and he's a pit guy so of course you brought him up but he had a lot to say about Trey and Ron in that conversation yeah. called them future head coaches are they are they future head coaches in your mind without a doubt absolutely both of them are just they're just you know what both of them along with a number of other guys on our staff they didn't get into the business a lot of guys just get into the business right after they play right after they're done playing they become graduate assistants and they kind of just worked their way up. These guys, they went and played. Then they didn't just come back and jump on staffs. They, you know, for instance, Trey Woodall was a division two coach, division two coach, then Robert Morris, then like um, IUPUI, then Robert Morris, then, you know, one or two other places, then end uh, uh, up at St. Bonaventure. So like ha has worked his way up the coaching ladder. Wasn't just given anything didn't deserve it. He's earned everything he's gotten and he's phenomenal. He brings such incredible experience, life experience that 
you know, these guys gravitate towards. Plus, he played at such a high level, won championships. Same thing with Ron. Ron played professionally for a long time, has always chosen the path that most didn't want him or expect him to choose. For instance, you know, when he was a superstar in the Bronx, he ends up going to Hollows, playing for John Kerry when everybody thought he should be playing at, at Rice or St. Raymond's at the time. And, you know, he always made his own decision um, and, and trusted in himself. He ends up going joining the staff in his 30s at Pitt, you know, as, as you know, kind of an alumni relations you know, position, just an unbelievable human being that you never meet anybody that's not like, man, he's great. His, his vibe, his aura, just positive. And again, guys gravitate towards that. Their work ethic on the court development is off the charts. They study the game, constantly watching film, developing relationships. And they're not just kind of like, oh, I'm a recruiter. You know, that's not what they are. They want to be complete coaches. And both of them are building their resume to, to, to what I believe are going to be extremely success, successful coaches in the future. But I got to go back to you for a second, because the first time we sat here and did this podcast, the first episode, we talked about your journey to, to becoming a head coach for the first time. And you yeah. talked about maybe had you not gotten this job that you were going to change profession, yeah. maybe it was time for that. And now within a year, you run the best season in program history in recent memory, coach of the year and the extension, do you let yourself sit down for a half an hour with your wife, with your dad, and just let it kind of soak in and enjoy it for a second? Eventually. Not yet. <laughs> Eventually. You know what? <laughs> um, I, I immediately took my my two kids um, out west and do a little, did a little skiing and snowboarding. I promised them um, that as soon as the season's over, um, they're, they're big into skiing, and I'm a, I'm a big snowboarder. I used to live in a snow mountain. Um, Mount Trombon, Canada, before I got into coaching and I was working in hotels and I was a ski bum for about six months. Um, and uh, so I'm big into that. And obviously I chose a profession where we can't really do that too often. <laughs> so, um, you know, but when we lived in state college, we lived by Tussie Mountain. And my young, my, my oldest son, Ty, uh, we used to drop him off at the mountain for like nine hours. And it was like 15 minutes from, from, from campus and where we lived. So we dropped him off and he would go with his friends for like literally eight to nine hours. And then we'd come back and pick him up. And so we haven't been able to do a ton of that. So I promised them that I would do that. And they'd never been out West and they were dying because a lot of their cousins have done it. So we jumped on a plane immediately, went out there for three days and it was incredible. And I thought I would kind of sit back and, and think a little bit, but that never happened. I was just trying not to get hurt and make sure I was hanging out with them. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, eventually I will do that. Um, but in today's day and age, man, when you're hanging out with your family, you feel guilty. You're not hanging out with your with your players. When you're hanging out with your players, you feel guilty. You're not hanging out with your family. You know, and, and everybody's like, oh, what, what do you guys do when the season's over? Quite honestly, since the season ended, it has been literally, not just twice, three to four times busier than when we were in the middle of the season. Because you get in a, a rhythm in the season, it's film, and you get kind of get in a routine. As soon as the season's over, now with the transfer portal being what it is, the action that takes place, you know, re-recruiting your own players. Although, you know, fortunately, we haven't had to do that too often. Our guys are happy, but, like, making sure we're, we're, we're prepared and detailed. We, uh, we take two weeks off. Guys are right back in the gym, you know, working out every day. Uh, or at least a couple days a week plus strength and conditioning schedules until the last week of, of classes before they take exams. 
Then we got to make sure we're prepared and detailed for June 1st when they arrive back and they're on campus for two summer sessions. All the while, immediately trying to engage in recruiting potential transfer portal situations, get them on campus prior to the final four, which is a dead period for a week. Then we go into Easter. So we've just been action-packed with recruit visit after recruit visit. And those are 48 to 72-hour kind of nonstop wait-till-sleep visits with kids and their families. So it's just been a hectic time. Eventually, um, we'll sit back. And, and right now, those awards are kind of, you know, for my family and, and things like that. And nobody cares about those awards. <laughs> and it, it come fall of next year, if we don't um, step on the floor and we're not consistent, everybody's going to quickly forget what we did this year. You know, that's just the reality. And, and the best part about the mindset of these guys I walked into the gym on Saturday um, this past weekend and I heard balls bouncing and, you know, we had recruits and, and, and on, or recruiting his family on campus. And I was like, who is that on Saturday, man? This is, you know, we don't start workouts until Monday. We, you know, the whole team is playing pickup. And I was like, I, I, I was jumping through the wall. I was so excited that these dudes, this clicked quickly after the grind. I mean, we started June 1st last year. And we had a foreign tour, so that's even more. Like, they're, they're already in the gym, and they're getting after it, picking up each other 94 feet. Like, I, I just, for me, that was seeing that. I was like, man, this is awesome. We got tremendous dudes in this program that, are, that aren't that are happy. They're pissed. We finished tied for second. They're pissed. And they're watching FAU and other programs in this, and they're like, we should be there. We can, be, we can do this. And, you know, to have that type of mentality is amazing. And, you know, you asked me one question. I just took about 25 minutes and went seven. <laughs> so I apologize. No need to it's, apologize. No, eventually I will. We, uh, we'll get to the portal. We'll get to recruiting. But I got to go back to the A-10 tournament because I, I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it myself. I didn't know there were that many Fordham alums. They were all in Brooklyn Thursday <laughs> and Saturday. There were people chanting on the, on the railroad, walking up to Barclays in the, in the concourse, waiting for food and beer. Awesome. What was it like when you got on the court right before that Thursday game started and all those people were there in that one half of the gym making all that noise for you guys? I promise you, if you could see my forearm right now, all the hairs are sticking up because um, it was electric, man. It was electric, and it just kind of – I think our players were like, this is real. Like, this is why we came here. We all chose to do this to try to create something really special. We believed in, you know, Ed Cole. We believed in um, the commitment the board has, the board of trustees has, has kind of their vision and, and, and President Tetlow. Like we all believed that this was headed in this direction. If we, if we stayed the course and we got good people in this program and, and we worked, we believed that this was possible. And it kind of just all came to um, fruition at that point. And, uh, I think it just encouraged everybody to work even harder and to understand, man, now we've seen it. We don't want to let this go. Let's get back at it and make sure that we can keep this consistent and sustained because if we do, it will continue to grow and everything we, we thought we could do, you know, we, we believe now we can. Um, there was some, some tangible evidence that shows Fordham alumni and Fordham students, they want a high level basketball program. They were hungry for it and they embraced it. And it wasn't just, okay, let's come to a Saturday basketball game. 
nah, they started to come out and they were excited about it. And now we know that it's, it's been created. It can happen. So let's do whatever we can to make sure it's sustained for years to come. And this becomes the norm. Yeah. And there was a moment uh, bef right before the opening tip Saturday, before the Dayton game. And I think it's worth noting that was a different Fordham crowd. That was more alums than students, which I thought was a good thing. It was like a two different dynamics almost between Thursday and Saturday. So like two different groups showed yeah. up. But right before the opening tip Saturday, and I was sitting, I don't know, 10, 15 rows behind your bench with some buddies. And I saw Will Richardson just kind of look up and look around yeah. and smile and like, clap his hands. Like it just was, I thought, personal for him, yeah. ready for the moment and like acknowledging the moment for you guys as a program. And I'm, I wish I could have gotten it on camera. I thought it was a very important, like three second glimpse at what he can be yeah. and what he wants to be and what you guys can be too. You know, what's funny, Andrew, like um, you get really nervous with the facility at Rose Hill early on, like guys like Angel Montez and Elijah Gray, and Will Richardson, they chose to come to Fordham um, and Ramad Dean and Noah Best and, this class came to Fordham when a good number of them had high-level opportunities um, that were considered better fan bases, much better facilities, bigger crowds. And, you know, you go into some of these other arenas and these guys walk off for our shoot-around and they see these big, nice, beautiful arenas like Duquesne and Dayton and VCU and pretty much everywhere we go, Rhode Island and um, Arkansas and all these other arenas and they're looking around and you, and you try not to like, you look at them like, Oh my goodness, I, I don't want them to, you know, try to start to compare and contrast. And, you know, you get nervous because, you know, you walk into Rose Hill, it's not like that. And at the time, you know, we still hadn't been packing the place. Right. So you really get nervous about what they're thinking, especially a guy like Angel Montes, who's not playing and he's evaluating constantly what's going on everywhere else. And, you know, questioning his decisions because naturally he's you know not playing sitting there like you know in his mind tracing so to see the gym at rose thrill continue to grow and all of a sudden you know come up from the locker room into rose thrill and you got to fight through crowds just to get into the gym for warm-ups and then go into barclays look in that huge arena that actually kind of looks similar to a date uh, yeah. some of these other places we went into in league and to see it's nothing it's to see a Fordham and to see potentially and tell them, look, we want to play another game in the Barclays during the season or two. We want to go to the garden. We now know we have the fan bases to do that. And we're going to have to start to stretch out similar to what Villanova used to have to do at Wells Fargo or not have to, they do, you know, yeah. similar to what St. John's has to do with the garden. Well, now Fordham could have to do that if we continue to do what we need to. Some big games, we're going to have to play in bigger arenas because we can't fit them in Rose Throw. Like, to talk like that to them, it gets them jacked up, and they've seen it now. Now they've seen what's possible, and they're just encouraged, and they're excited about it, and um, it's really something. It's really something, and, and I think they've created that, and I think they want to continue to build upon that. All right, let's get let's get to the portal. Let's get to recruiting. Can you tell us how many spots you actually have open for next year, or is that a secret? Can't really talk about that kind of stuff. I mean, okay. we're still we're still. I mean, I can. I mean, it, 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 we're still in. Um, you know, obviously Alex Bates, and Jameer Trip. We can talk right. about them. Signed their lot of letters of intent. They're they're all good. You know, we're still. This is a this is an interesting time. 
uh, unlike any other time in sports, honestly, because even last year, last year it was intense, but it just happened. Now it's been a full year in review for the transfer portal. Um, and, you know, we're still having our, our end of the year meetings with players. I've had most of them, but we're getting there here today. I'll finish up most of them. Um, and some guys, you know, we don't know what they're going to decide to do. And, and uh, it could, that, that could continue to kind of be um, a mystery here for the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, and, and it is what it is. Like, we want everybody to want to play 30 minutes a game here at Fordham. You know, I don't care if you're the 13th, 14th, 15th man. We want you to be engaged in what we, we You don't want guys who are just happy to be here. So, but it's impossible to play that many guys. And yeah. I get that. So some guys are going to be unhappy with their playing time. Doesn't necessarily mean they're unhappy here at Fordham or with us. They're loving life. Well, they want to play. And yeah. I get that. That's why you chose to, to play at this high of a level. But if, if, if it's not going to be what you, you want right away, well, then, you know, you have the option of, uh, of checking things out elsewhere. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early on in my career from, from, from Jay Wright and, and continued on at Pat Chambers at Penn State and was evident here when we got here a year or two ago with, with Kyle Neptune, we cannot promise anybody anything. We never have. We never will. Doesn't matter if you're Darius Quisenberry. Doesn't matter if you're Scotty Reynolds or – doesn't matter if you're Tony Carr, or whoever it is in any place, we're not promising you anything. We can't do that because if something happens and there's a lack of trust and the relationship is severed. So, you know, you got to come in and earn it each and every day. We're just trying to put the best, you know, five guys on the court at all times who buy into what we're trying to do. So, you know, sometimes guys don't necessarily get what they want. It takes a little bit longer and, today's world they can kind of just pick up and go somewhere else and i understand that um so we have to wait and see what certain guys decide to do and whatever they decide to do we're gonna we're gonna be uh, encouraging but as of right now we don't have any scholarships left we we we're moving forward like we're ready to go um you know we're, we're still in flux and i'll be real with you we're waiting on a, a an ncaa waiver for roslav Novitsky. that's a big piece of the puzzle um, you know, hopefully we get that decision here coming up. I don't know. We want it as soon as possible. We put that waiver in, in the middle of the basketball season and we still haven't gotten the result. And that's kind of, we're hanging on for dear life regarding that because we're going to have to replace that. So we're constantly oh, recruiting regardless of whether or not we feel like we have a spot or not, because we have no idea what's going to happen with anybody. It feels almost like the NFL draft, the strategy of, do I take the best player available or am I picking for need? Are you, are you in the portal looking for specific types of players or are you just looking, this guy is the best. Uh, we don't we think is within our reach. We're going to go get him and fit him in however necessary. No, we, we can't do that here at Fordham. That's not how we run our program. Never will be that way. We're not looking for the most talented dude. We're looking for the guy who fits what we're trying to accomplish here at Fordham. It takes a special human being to want to go somewhere and be what we call a trailblazer and to play for us because we don't just expect you to show up and play basketball, put the ball in the basket. That's not what we do here. You've got to understand you got to be a tremendous student. You got to be fantastic in the community. You got to want to be a complete human being, a complete player. And, and, and you've got to understand that we're going to demand a lot of you regardless of whether or not you're, you're, you're a good basketball player or not. And, we want high character kids with, with great foundations at home 
who are prepared to come in and have tunnel vision and want to be successful in everything they do. And they got to fit our locker room. We don't want anybody who's just the most talented basketball player with issues on and off the court. It's just not going to work for us. I'd rather take a less talented kid with a great mindset who's willing to work and buy into what we're trying to do. We play a little bit different of a style. You know, if you don't dive head first for a loose ball, regardless of whether or not you think it's going out of bounds or not, you're not, you're not playing. So that takes a, a complete buy-in and it's a little bit different than most other programs do. So we're very specific on who we approach. Um, we do our homework and due diligence, not just about basketball, but it's about the other things. And we got to make sure that, you know, they understand fully what it's going to be when they get on campus here. So we're very, very particular about some of the scholarships that we offer up to other people. When a kid goes into the portal, how many of them reach out to you as opposed to you going to reach out to them and saying, hey, we'd love to have you? Well, if you had talked to me last year, that was a totally different answer. I'll be real with you. You know, we were reaching out to everybody else, begging and pleading. Just give us a shot. Let us show you a Zoom. Let it give it, you know, come on campus. We'll show you what we're all about. Now, it's, it's certain guys like that, but we have gotten a lot of interest and a lot of calls from coaches, parents, players after they've entered the portal um, to see what kind of interest we may have in them which is a brand new kind of uh, feeling here at Fordham. Yeah. So um, it's very exciting um, and it gives us a lot more options. Um, and so that's what we're kind of, we're in the process of doing. And then there are some, some so-called reaches that we might approach and the success of a, a guy like Khalid Moore who won an ACC tournament championship and started for that team during that run to come to, to, to Fordham and have the success that he had we feel like we can prove to some of those guys, listen, this is the right option for you. For your, for your, If you want to further your career and get a great graduate degree, this could be the option. Look at these numbers. So there are some guys that we're, we're, we're attracting or going after that weren't really approaching us yet, but plenty have called. So that's a good thing. All right, we're talking before you and the staff head to, to Houston for the final four. So I got to ask you about the, the makeup of this foursome, what does it tell you about college basketball today? Or is it just, do you think an anomaly that there's no one or two seats in this final? No, four? it's definitely not an anomaly. There's a ton of parody and there has been, this has been brewing for a few years, but also the reality is that, and this is funny because FAU is a young team, but throughout the tournament, right. I think COVID had a lot to do with this year and a lot to do with the success of some of these mid so-called mid majors, which is nonsense to begin with. But um, I think COVID had a lot to do with that. I mean, you had several rosters, including ours, where you got 22. Okay. So 22 years old. All right. That's not that old. You know, that you could be a senior. Well, you had 23, 24, and in some cases, 25 year olds on rosters as it related to COVID. Right. So that eventually is going to come back um, and you're not going to have, you know, 24 year olds on your roster at some point. You're yeah. Not have even 23 year olds. So there's a lot of teams that are extremely old that have been playing, you know, four to five, five years already. Um, so I think that had something to do with it. But the parody is no doubt, you know, kids are not afraid to go other places as a result of, you know, AAU and playing at such an early age year round, picking a, a definitive sport and just playing one 
So it, it's different. And, uh, and kids are much more confident. They're not afraid to play high major programs because they played them all summer long, three times a day for however long, you know, for the last couple of years in AAU. So the parity is definitely growing. And, you know, and the transfer portal has also aided in that. Yeah. You know? So um, FAU, it's not apples to apples, but when you see a school like that, newer program, kind of upstart first time making history, does it, does it make you guys think that you can follow a somewhat similar path? 100%. I mean, it, it just shows to our guys, look, like, no reason why we couldn't have done it. But, I mean, the Atlantic 10 is, is just got disrespected this year, and we all know it. We all feel it. I mean, it's a joke. It, it's an honest-to-God joke how they treated our conference this year based off of games in November and early December. It's a joke, and it's obvious. And and, and throughout the, league, the leagues, they got all these bids. No disrespect to them, but, like, if the committee doesn't start making some adjustments, they're going to have like it's it's a the tournament is is not as fun. I mean, it's still the greatest show on earth, but like this this whole net situation is obviously flawed, completely flawed. I mean, no disrespect to Duquesne, we beat them twice by a margin of like thirty total between the two, and they finished ahead of us in the net, and we came in second in league, tied for second. We're top four, like, and they are higher than us in the net. What we beat them? What do you? We beat them at their place. We beat them at home, and and we beat them by like twenty the second time. And they're still slots ahead of us the entire year. How does that make sense? You you explain to me how the the the, the numbers and the metrics made sense. So wins and losses don't matter anymore. Yeah. Like, what or or no? The only win that matters. And the only loss that matters, it's all related to margin of victory or margin of loss. Like, what are we talking about in here? It makes absolutely no sense. It's like having – this is another thing that makes no sense. You're going to set me off. <laughs> having a rules committee without any referees on it. Yeah. What sense does that make? That's just not logical. It's hey, – I, I'm like, wait, what? I didn't yeah. even know that. I, until I spoke to our head of officials, Brian Kersey who called me to apologize about something. And I'm like, wait, why can't you review that? He's like, well, <laughs> we're, we don't, we, we're not on the committee. We don't quite understand why we, we'd like to be able to review that call, but we can't. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? You can review everything else. He's like, well, you know, until the coaches and the referees get together and demand a referee or head of referees or on the rules committee, we're not going to have any say in the rules. I'm like, wait, what? There's no referee or, or representation of referees. The guys who have to adhere to the rules and and, and, and kind of – it's just mind-boggling. And it's the same thing with the net. So you're going to – I'm going to well, go off. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a turn for a second because, um, again, I was at the Dayton A-10 semi as a fan, and I still don't understand how that timeout was given to Dayton at the end of the game. I don't know if it changes the actual outcome, but maybe you What are you trying to do, Andrew? No, no, no. I I got you. I got you. So I tried to be a professional. I asked around after the fact, people that I knew. I went home and watched it on TV because I couldn't tell live what happened, and obviously there's no replays in the – and what it boils down to for me is if you're going to have replay in the game – Yep. At some point, sub two minutes, whatever it is, replay should be available to fix anything and everything. Anything. The idea anything that we can only address certain things and even like the, the dumbness of like goaltending calls. If I call it goaltending, then we can review it. If I don't call it goaltending, we can't. 
Like all those things go out the window and just fix everything, get it right. It, it happened three times in the last month of the season. Almost cost us the Rhode Island game, and they clearly made a mistake. It was an inadvertent whistle. Antrell Charlton stepped back in bounds. So did Darius. It was clear on replay. They couldn't replay it. They apologized and said, oh, he could have called an inadvertent whistle, but he didn't. Well, it's too late. They almost did a three to tie the game, and, and our play worked. It worked, right? Same thing at George Mason. He not only tapped his right foot once, but twice. 30 seconds with the ball, tie game. I don't know if we would have scored, but we would have at least had a chance. Instead, they had a chance. Like, that's a huge call and a huge yeah. moment. It almost cost us an opportunity for a double buy. If we don't beat Duquesne, we're, it's, it's a joke. Like, and, and I'm, it's just, oh, well, it's not a reviewable call. Both of them. I'm like, what? You review everything else under everything. two minutes. That right. doesn't make sense. And then I don't think you guys understand, or maybe you do. Okay, the day before, Dayton was up nine with like 48 seconds to go. And next thing you know, with 18 seconds, it's a three-point game. So it just happened the day before, or two days before, Thursday, right? It's a seven-point game with 51 seconds to go. We get a steal. Khalid lays it up. One ref calls a whistle for an and one. Called a whistle for an and one. So that means it's going to five, potentially four, and there's still like 40-something seconds on the clock. They had just turned the ball over not once, but also almost twice in our full-court pressure. My man is always – he's all the way on the other end of the court. Yeah, and, all, and it wasn't like it was still an inbounds. The ball was inbounded. Then Holmes went to turn it over. So as soon as it was inbounded, they had possession. He should have moved up, but he's still in the backcourt, giving them a timeout across the court. After it wasn't like we didn't have we had the ball, took a dribble, got to the rim before he blew the whistle. It wasn't yeah. even like it was almost three seconds to four seconds late. I mean, that's a huge, huge play. It, it was insane. I, I've never seen anything like it, and it didn't make sense live. It was so late. People did, we didn't know what the call was because it didn't seem possible to have a date and time out in that scenario. But I'm sorry for oh, getting you riled up. No, nah, I mean, but it took I me 28 this, minutes, I but I got this. there. I, I'm not going to be one of those coaches that – here's the reality. We had so many opportunities, so many chances. that it, The game did not come down to that at all. It did not come down to that. We had our chances. Um, we, we, we didn't make plays when necessary, and I'll give – Dayton, all the credit, man. Some of the the plates. I mean, Kamara had a career Ugh. night. He didn't yeah. miss. I mean, so, and and this is the thing that people have to realize. Like our defense was unbelievable. I give our guys credit. Some of the shots that they made were phenomenal. Like there yeah. was a shot the kid makes, turnaround baseline jumper off the top of the backboard at the shot clock buzzer in the first pass. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, he went. Uh, he broke a tournament record for shooting percent. He went what eleven for twelve or twelve for fifteen. Yep. At 20-something points. And then, like, Malachi Smith hits a buzzer beater at the end of the shot clock off the dribble with Darius in his face. Like, they hit shots that they had made for a number of weeks. And, obviously, we wore them out a little bit because, you know, VCU did a great job. But, you know, they were missing all of the open shots that they were making in our game. They missed, I think, their last 16 shots down the stretch of the championship game. So, you know, credit to them, but it didn't come down that last 50 seconds, but it's just a, it's a review and we're evaluating. And and I believe that they should have the opportunity to review those things inside two minutes. All right. Last thing to get you back on the, uh, on a good, on a good feel, I guess. And just um, like, this is supposed to be 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm talking last one. So you guys go to Houston as a staff, right? There's, there's time for fun and there's some business in Houston as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, 
it's there's there's a number of different opportunities for professional development in Houston. It's the NBC, NABC and it's a Division One, um, you know, convention. So uh, all the coaches, it's a, it's a great opportunity specifically for young coaches to network, um, to bounce ideas off um, a bunch of different, uh, you know, expos and uh, at the convention, you know, ideas and products and things of that nature. And um, so there's there's a number of of resources that you have to evaluate and you have an opportunity to take a look at. Um, so it's, it's a uh, very informational, but yeah, there is a lot of fun as well. There's specific parties and things like that, where you get together with a lot of coaches and, you know, you, you don't, it, it's a fraternity and you don't get a whole lot of time to spend with them. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and also, you know, coaching is a profession where you, you know, a lot of people tend to bounce around a lot and yeah. you develop incredibly strong relationships. You don't get a ton of time to see, those folks throughout the year. So it's a great kind of reunion of sorts for someone like myself. I see a lot of people from Penn state and Villanova that I don't get to spend a ton of time with that, that are extremely close friends. So um, it's a little bit of, of, of pleasure, but also certainly a little bit of professional as well. Now, because of our, uh, our mutual friend, John Feinstein, I've been to the fancy Jay Wright final four party. Is that still happen post coaching? Uh, it's hard to have one when you're constantly in the national championship game or the final four game. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's been ridiculous. I mean, the guy's been in it or he was in it for the last, I don't know. What is it? Since 2009, he was either in the final four or in the national championship four times. So um, at, or, or otherwise they were in the sweet 16 or elite eight, you know, yeah. so, um, that party used to be almost out of control. It's, it's uh, hit or miss as it relates to, uh, whether or not they're 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 uh, deep run or not, so um, you know, I, I, this year it is not taking place, but I'm sure there'll be some sort of crazy gathering at some point. Gotcha. I, I was in charge of one of the or a couple of those as the ops guy in 2008, 2009, 2010. I ran that party, um, and it it's amazing to see how much that thing has grown. I mean, it's it, it was insane by the time we were done. Yeah, I think I, I the Dallas one, which was, I guess, 13 or 12 or 13. That's the one I was at. And yeah. I did not belong in that room with the amount of <laughs> coaches and media people and other fancy folks. I should not have been there. You know, but that's Jay Wright, man. Jay Wright just, yeah. but like he, he invites everybody, especially young coaches. Like he's just, it's awesome. He just, he like, he, he gets it. He just gets it. He wants everybody to continue to have an opportunity to meet as many people as possible. And he understands there's only so many times especially for a lot of coaches that have the opportunity to be in the same room as other people and coaches have the opportunity to meet different people and try to grow their network. And he's all about that always has been. So it's great. All right, Keith, you're the best. Congrats again on a great season. Go rest, go recruit, go enjoy Houston. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I'm sure. Hey, I appreciate you guys, man. And and again, thank you guys so much for, for being so supportive all year long and we've got to continue this momentum. So we appreciate it. And don't forget, every day is a great day to be a rep! <laughs>